It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. And let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello. My guest today is Laura Gillen. She is the former supervisor of the town of Hempstead on Long Island, population 800,000, so it's not just any town. And she is now a candidate for Congress for the 4th District in New York State. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. So full disclosure, Laura is a friend. We actually ran for office together back in 2013, and we served together. I was county executive of Nassau when Laura was the town supervisor of Hempstead. So we are friends and colleagues. So instead of getting all in the nitty gritty of politics and where you stand on this and that, of course, we can get into that if you want to. I want to talk more about what it's like to run for office. And so this is just going to be a conversation between two people who have done it. I am out of the arena now. I am grateful to not be running, but I'm glad that we have you running. I'm glad that we've got some, you know, some good candidates out there. And I'm always grateful to people who actually want to do this. So my first question is something that so many people asked me when I was in office. Yeah. Why are you putting yourself through this? Right. So you've got four beautiful children. You've got an adorable husband who loves you. He's a filmmaker. You're an attorney. You're a litigator. You have a nice home. You could have a normal life. You could enjoy your privacy and enjoy your weekends. But instead, you know, when you run for office, you put yourself out there. You open yourself to all kinds of criticism and scrutiny. And you've got to raise money, which is never easy. It's never a picnic, especially now. So what is it that is inspiring you to run for office, to run for Congress? So, you know, I was always interested in politics, Laura. I was a government major at Georgetown, worked Mm. on Capitol Hill while I was there. But then after college, I won't get into my whole bio, but, you know, I, I kind of just watched politics from the side, stayed engaged just, you know, as someone who followed politics, but was doing pursuing other things professionally and uh, on the volunteer front. And then I guess I really first got interested in running when I saw The Hub, which is something that you know a lot about. You and I both tried to, to get that project in order. I don't know what's going to happen with it now. But yeah, just for context I, for the listeners, this is about 70 acres of concrete surrounding the Coliseum, the Nassau Coliseum. And it's been empty for decades. There have been plans that have been shuttled, you know, and it's just been a very frustrating thing. And it's right in the heart of Nassau County, right in the heart of the town of Hempstead. And it's such an opportunity for development. So anyway, go on. So I saw the hub at the time there was Tom Swazi was the county executive and he got a private investor interested in revitalizing the whole area and redeveloping it and really making it a place 
there was a, a projected project that was going to make it a beautiful destination that everybody in Nassau County could enjoy. And the town of Hempstead just hung up the project with refusing to consider any of the zoning because they have the zoning authority over the property, although it is a county property. And eventually they drove away the person who wanted to invest his own funds in this project, and they almost drove away the New York Islanders' uh, NHL franchise at, you know, at the same time. And then we got a new county executive, Ed Mangano, who is currently waiting jail time, who decided that he would instead try to revitalize it, but at taxpayer expense. And he put it out to a referendum in August at an additional taxpayer expense instead of putting it on the ballot in November because he thought he could sneak it through. And so I was watching this. My office, my law office, was right across from the hub property. And I was infuriated. I said, why should my, me and my children have to pay for this when we had someone perfectly willing to do it? And it was just because of partisan politics that this didn't go through because the town of Hempstead didn't want a Democratic county executive to have a win. And it made me crazy. And I said, you know what? I can't just sit on the sidelines. I have to get involved. So that's when I first started thinking about running for office. And eventually I came to run with you when you first ran for legislator and I was running for county clerk. And for me, I thought that was a good entree into the world of being a candidate because nobody really knows what the county clerk is or what they do. And I didn't think it would be a particularly nasty race. I thought it'd be a very, very polite race, which it was. So I really enjoyed the process. I thought I was pretty good at it. I did not win that election, but I thought I'll stay engaged. I'll stay involved. And when I find the right race, I'll run for it. And so fast forward, I got the opportunity to run in 17 for town supervisor and for the town of Hempstead, this very same municipal entity that screwed up the hub in the first place. And I got in this race and I thought maybe I can clean up some corruption and do some good and see something happen at the hub. And I was really pleased to be elected and elected with you because we were going to work together on that project as well as many other projects. And when I got into office as town supervisor, I really was amazed at how much good you could do in that local government office. So I, 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 I don't want to pass over this too quickly. I mean, when you were elected to this Hempstead supervisor, and again, it's a town, it's not just some little tiny thing. It's a town of 800,000 people, which is bigger than five states in population. It's a big place. Right. And you were the first Democratic supervisor in the town in 100 years. There was a real entrenched machine there. And a lot of people in the town saw you as the dragon slayer, as the one who took on the machine and actually won. Yeah. This was not a race that people expected you to win, and you did. And I know that your tenure there was not easy, but I think you inspired a lot of people, and I'm not talking about just people to run for office, but just people in general, that if you take on the entrenched machine, you know what? And you tell the truth, you know what? You actually can be successful. And the point is, you know what? You have to try. There were so many people who said, you're never going to win this race. You're never going to win. I remember that. I remember and that. And, and honestly, the party would often put up just sacrificial lambs knowing that they wouldn't win, you know, whether they were gadflies or people who just couldn't raise the money or didn't really campaign. But that was not you. You put your heart and soul into that campaign. I did. And I found some allies on the other side of the aisle to kind of help me get across the finish line. And so that, I think that fast forward to my race now running for Congress, you know, some people say Washington is so broken. Nobody gets anything done. Why bother? It's going to be so frustrating. Why would you even bother doing this? And I said, first of all, am I just going to give up and just like 
abandon my hope in our democracy. We have to have people who believe that maybe things are pretty bad now. The climate is bad. People are in a bad mood. We see this increased polarization of the right and the left in Washington. But we see the we polarization need- of the right and the left and also within both parties. I, I see that little civil wars going on, not just between the Republicans and the Democrats, but within the Republican Party and within the Democratic Party, which adds to the feeling of dysfunction and hopelessness that so many people have. But you're right. saying, OK, I could throw up my hands and just give up or me, can, regular person, can actually run. I can get engaged and I can be a voice in Washington for the majority of people who, at least in this area, and I think in most of the country, like feel like we do. We are kind of in the middle. We may not agree on everything that our neighbors think, but we're sensible. We can listen to both sides. And we can reach across the aisle and get things done because that's what we're elected to do. Tell me about the district. I live in the district, so I know it. But for people who don't understand the 4th Congressional District, how would you describe it? It's a district that actually makes a lot of sense. It really didn't change much in New York. You know, we had this redistricting where they changed the maps and the lines. This district never really changed much because it's a district that is cohesive and it makes a lot of sense. It's all in Nassau County. And so it's not one of these crazy gerrymandered districts that no, no. look like, you know, a turtle that... <laughs> and there's such a high concentration of the population in this district that it's not geographically so spread out. It's really a compact district. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a square, which is such yeah, a novelty. It's basically the town of Hempstead with Long Beach thrown in. I don't want to tell, you know, this is how I see you. Correct me if I'm wrong. I see you as a common sense Democrat. And, you know, what kind of voice do you want to bring to Washington as you represent your district? Like, what kind of congressperson do you want to be and do you think that we need in Washington? I think we need a moderate voice who I think we need an independent strong voice. Really, that's what we need. We see too many people just kowtowing to their party lines. Mm -hmm. On both Um, sides. On both sides of the aisle. And sometimes that is appropriate. Sometimes you're going to be with the people in your party because ideologically that's where you stand. But sometimes you're not going to be with them either because it's not where you stand or it's not where your district stands, right? And ultimately, I mean, above everything else, when you go to Congress or you go to an, a legislative, in a legislative role, you are a representative. So if you get elected, you're not just representing your party, you're representing the other party as well. So you have to be mindful of where your district is at and what the people who live in your district need. And you have to be able to stand up to the people maybe on the other side, but maybe on your side if they're going to go against what your district needs. For example, in the 4th Congressional District, I will represent the five towns, which is one of the largest concentration of Jewish population in in the world. I think one of the largest outside of Israel. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I am going to be a fierce and staunch advocate for Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people in our party who are not fans of Israel. And I, as a member of the 4th congressional district and Mm -hmm. as the representative of the five towns, certainly I will go against them because that's my job as a representative. And personally, as a matter of foreign policy, it's something that I also believe in very, very firmly. But, you know, that's what we need. You know, it's refreshing to hear someone who's running for office to talk about actually representing the people as opposed to an ideology or a party. It's about 
is the people who put their trust in you to be their voice. And so how do you, in a time of polarization and a growing lack of trust in politics and politicians, how do you sell yourself? What do you say to people? How do you earn that trust? I think you can point back to your record. I mean, I think that people know that in the town of Hempstead, I don't think anybody would disagree that I went into a lion's den as the first Democratic supervisor in 112 years, where I pretty much had an entirely Republican board, you know, who would obstruct me, would tell commissioners not to talk to me, just to talk to them. I mean, the challenges were many, but nevertheless, I managed to get things done. And I certainly think it was very clear to the people in the town of Hempstead that I did not have a partisan agenda. I had a good government agenda. Everything I did was to try to modernize the town, to save the residents money, or to deliver better services to the residents. Modernizing the infrastructure of the town, which is falling apart. What people don't realize is sometimes they vote blindly, and I know you realize this, Laura, but a Mm. lot of people don't realize this. They vote blindly on party lines. Really, in the town of Hempstead, the Republicans raised taxes, the two administrations before mine raised taxes in excess of $99 million during their tenure. Okay. I got into office, taxes went down. And taxes on Long Island is a huge issue. So that's something you really want to get out there. But but you're so right. When it comes to local elections, and it's frustrating having served on the local level, is a lot of people pay attention to what's happening in Washington. They don't pay attention to what happens locally. They just go blindly vote along the party line. And You know, who represents you on the local level, who's actually running the place, matters more than who's sitting in the White House. Absolutely. Absolutely. Will you will you have access to that person? Will you have access to communicate to whomever it is that's representing you locally, whether it's in the county legislature, in the town government, in your village government or in Congress? Will you have access to their staff to get whatever you need addressed addressed? And it could be something really important about uh, for example, uh, you know, a, a, a deal with Iran, right? Um, if there's going to be a new deal with Iran, can people in this district communicate with my staff to get to me to make sure that I understand where they're coming from on that? Or something as simple as my son is in the military and I want to go see him. He's got a, a break and there's such a delay in passports. I'm afraid my passport won't get done in time. Can you please help me to go see my son who's serving our country and let me help you get your passport expedited? Like things like that. You know, that's the kind of thing that you want to make sure that the person is going to be there. They're going to have an ear and they're going to care about you and that they care about the same things that you do. Now, I know you have the endorsement of the congresswoman who represents the area now. She's not running again. Her name is Kathleen Rice. That's a great endorsement to get. But making it more complicated this year for anyone in a Democrat Democratic congressional primary is, I can say this, maybe you might not want to say it, Laura, but it seems that the Senate Democrats screwed up the lines. They were all thrown out, the new districts for the redistricting. So there now a judge has created these new lines, these new borders. But the bottom line is, without getting into all the boring stuff of it, is that your primary date was pushed to late August. It was supposed to be the same in as like the gubernatorial days. one. Right. Yeah, it was supposed <laughs> to be in eight days. You were going to be free then to go on to the general election. But now you're mired in this kind of holding pattern with this primary, I got to think that's really frustrating. My concern is that people will not know that there are actually, if you're a Democrat in New York State, you very likely could be voting twice in two different primaries a month apart. That's right. How are you handling that? 
You know, it's just going to be about communicating with the electorate and letting them know there is a second primary. But it is a real concern because I voted early on Saturday and I was in the polling place and I said to the people who are, you know, just checking you in to go and vote, I said, oh, it's you're going to get two for the price of one, two primaries this year. And they're like, what? They didn't even know. <laughs> wow. That's scary so that was, when they don't that know. That was concerning that they didn't even know that. And I said, yes, you should tell people when they come in. There's two primaries. There's one now and then there's one on August 23rd. So it will be a lift to make sure that, you know, primary turnout tends to be low anyway. But a primary when, first of all, there's two. Second of all, it's in August, right before Labor Day, when lots of people are on vacation. It's the dog days, yeah. It's really going to be a challenge to make sure... Um, we get people out to vote, but it's so important because, uh, you know, this is this is going to determine who's going to represent you for the next two years in Washington. So, um, yeah. So I guess Democrats. I, I want to give a, a listeners who don't know Long Island, don't know Nassau County that well, just a sense of the district. So if you've ever been to Long Beach, it includes all along the south shore of Long Beach, those lovely south shore communities all the way out from the five towns out to Seaford, right? You go all the way out to Seaford now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you go up to Garden City, Hempstead, Union. Dale, it's a very diverse district. You've got sort of regular old school suburbia. You have sort of more wealthy area of Garden City. You have a lot of diversity in there. You have African-American communities, Hispanic communities, Orthodox Jewish communities, a Haitian community. There's a lot in that district, a lot of many different constituencies. Do you tailor how you talk to different... You also have a lot of Republicans, and frankly, I think you'll win a lot of them over because I think your husband, you think you're actually married to a Republican. You grew up in a Republican household. So do you tailor how you speak to different communities or do you do you give them all the same pitch? You know, how do you talk to di- all of these diverse communities that you're looking to win over first in the well, primary? I think the most, the most important thing is to just talk to them honestly, right? I'm not going to say something just to, to try to get elected and then go back on what I said just because I got elected. You know, I think you have to talk honestly to the communities. What you discuss may change because issues might matter to one community. For example, I keep going back to Israel. Like if I'm in the five towns, I'm going to talk about Israel. If I'm going to Hempstead, I might not talk about Israel because it's not an issue that's at the forefront of their concerns. You know, I think a lot of the issues, especially for Democrats, are, you know, cross diverse communities, guns, choice, the cost of living. Those issues are resonating right now with everybody across the diverse areas of CD4. But I think, again, the one unifying factor is like you have to be consistent and you have to be honest. I'm not going to go and talk to a group of real progressive people and say, I'm going to be with you 100% because I might not be. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they can count on is that I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to respect them. I'm going to talk to them about the issues and We'll see where we are. Yeah, inevitably, I mean, we're human beings. We're not going to agree with everyone all the time, whether you're in politics or not. And I always found myself, it's better to have the difficult conversation, to make the phone call, give people the heads up that, you know, it's not going to, I'm not going to agree with you with, on this. I am not with you on this. And, and to me, the relationship and the respect of letting them know, honestly, 
was better than pandering. And in, in the right. end, I think you have better relationships that way. Now, you, you've been in public office. You had you had a tough, you've been in several, a couple campaigns, a tough stint at the town of Hempstead with a lot of criticism, a lot of press scrutiny. And a lot of people who aren't in elected positions don't really understand what it's like. And I know nobody, I'm not saying, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for us or anything, but it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and throw stones and criticize and say what could have been done better. And when you run for office and you're in office, you have to have that tough skin. You have to be able to kind of, you know, you learn not to read every single comment on social media. You don't <laughs> hold a grudge. A good idea. <laughs> you don't things, you know, you learn to not take things personally. You just do the best you can. How are you able to manage that, the constant criticism and undermining unwanted advice that really is just veiled criticism? How do you handle that? Well, I mean, look, I remember when I first ran and I guess there was maybe a Newsday article on me back when they posted Newsday's our local paper, when they posted the articles, you used to be able to post comments. And I was so nervous that somebody might say something negative about me. Now, like you said, I just don't even look. And I learned to just say, well, you know, most of the people who would post something nasty are just a small minority. Most people aren't going to be bothered doing that or they're not going to do that. But I think you just have to learn to say, you know, when I make a decision, am I being guided what's best for the people that I represent? And can I lay down and put my head to the pillow with a clear conscience knowing that I did the right thing? And that, yeah. that was my guide in the town of Hempstead. I mean, that was certainly a real, I mean, when I first was there, it was very difficult. I mean, every time I could barely sleep the night before a board meeting because I never knew what kind of tricks they might try to pull with me at any board meeting. But then you get used to it and you're, you just toughen up. It's funny what you say about your head on the pillow because that's my, that was my criteria as well. If I had a really hard decision to make, I'd visualize myself going to bed that night. What will make my conscience feel clearest? What will give me the best sleep tonight? Even if it's the harder one, even if it's the one that's like ripping off the Band-Aid, I'm going to piss a lot of people off. What is the better choice with the information I have at the moment? And and speaking of clear conscience and a good soul, I do have to point out that you worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta for a while. I did. I did. Which I think is amazing. But I have to ask you a question. Have you read, I really adore Christopher Hitchens. I wish he were still with us to be commenting. I'd love to know his perspective on everything from Trump to Biden to everything else. But Christopher Hitchens was actually appointed by the Vatican as the devil's advocate. This is a real thing. When she was being beatified, yes. She was being beatified, so he had to make the case as to why she shouldn't. So it was a 100-page book called Missionary Position, which is an excellent read. I recommend it to anyone. He's a real contrarian, and it may offend a lot of people, but it's a fabulous book. Have you ever had the chance to read it? I did not read it. I've heard, you know, excerpts from it. My husband is a fan of Christopher Hitchens as well. Oh, is he? Well. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise and me. And so, like, we've listened to him, you know, giving talks, and I've heard some of the things that that were probably in that book about Mother Teresa, but I did not read that book. All right. Well, I, I think it's amazing that you did that. And I think a lot of a lot of the criticism was about how she raised money to keep her, her mission going. Uh, I, I didn't read it, you did. But, you know, I was there and I really thought what she created there was something special. And it's quite amazing. You know, she went there to Calcutta, which even 
it was, I imagine it was probably worse when she first got there. It was pretty bad when I got there. I mean, you have whole classes of people who live at the train station mm. who live in the street. There's a, there's a, you know, I remember on my way to the convent, there was a, a fountain where, like, that was the bathing place for a whole subset of people because they had no indoor plumbing and they had no access to a shower. So they would just have to bathe publicly mm. in the middle of the street. And she went there and she had no money. She wasn't bankrolled by anybody. She just went there and uh, largely because of the generosity of the wealthier Indian community living there, somebody gave them a house. Then somebody gave them a building. The place where I worked was called Kaligat mm. and it was donated by the Hindu Kali Temple, which was right next door. They donated this space for Mother Teresa for her home for the dying, which is where I worked. So she just kind of would go and say God would provide, and then she, she'd she get donations and things would flow into her. Hmm. Ben, what a cool experience. It was very nice. Well, Laura, is there anything else you want to add before I let you go? Just please come out and vote. It is so important. And I would just urge people, you know, who are really frustrated with what's going on in, in Washington or, or locally or even at the state level, like, don't fall into the trap where you just vote on party lines. Look into the candidates and mm-hmm. look in, at who's going to do the right thing for you. And we just, you know, and who really represents you, someone who's really invested in the community. I think that that's so important. Like, you know, I, I, this is where I grew up. This is where I'm raising my children. Like you, you know, you're involved in the local stuff with your schools, with many schools, with sports. You know, your issues are my issues. I'm living the same experience that you are. So I think that's really important to have in a representative, along with a determination to, like, be tough. you got to be tough in Washington. And certainly, uh, being in the prime of, the town of Hempstead was a, a perfect primer to it go down. It was great training. And fight, the, <laughs> fight the good fight in D.C. I mean, I, I worked with you. I saw you. And you are, you are a fighter. I can editorialize here. And you are not someone <laughs> who is going to sit down, shut up, and be nice, which I think we need in Washington. So thank you for running. And I want to say to everyone who's listening, whoever your candidate is, please vote. Your voice really does does matter more than you know. Good luck, and maybe I'll have you on when you're in Congress. How does that sound? All right. That sounds great. Thank you, Laura. All right, Laura. Thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.